you would go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 35, and that is our text this Lord's Day as we continue to walk through the Scripture together. Uh, if you are new to Bloomfield Baptist Church, we have been walking through the book of Genesis for some time now, and we've come now to the last chapter that really gets into the life of Jacob. Jacob will be mentioned moving forward, but really this is the, the last chapter dedicated to him, and just to remind us of where we've been since the beginning of last year, we, we started our study of Genesis with seeing God as Creator, how, how God created all things and all things are, are here for His glory. And, and from the very beginning, God has called man to walk by faith. And we've seen man struggle to do that. We saw that struggle in the garden with Adam and Eve who rebelled against God's command and sinned against God and and certainly a struggle ensued from that. And we've seen that struggle in everyone since then. And yet, at the same time, we've seen God's goodness and His faithfulness to struggling men and women. We see it there in Genesis chapter 3, where when Adam and Eve sinned and were expelled from the garden, even in giving the consequence of their sin to them, God gives them a promise. In Genesis 3.15, God makes promise that that an offspring will come who will be a redeemer. And we've been following the story of that offspring since then. It's a story that all of Scripture tells. And the story unfolds fully in the Gospels where we see that the offspring to come who would crush the enemy is Jesus Christ who on the cross died for our sins. It's important that you see how those pieces connect as we look to the Word because it helps us to see then how this applies to our life. That the Old Testament isn't just a book of moral lessons or of of characters we might glean some thoughts from. It is men and women who are called to walk by faith just as we are called to walk by faith. Men and women who are called ultimately to trust in that offspring, to trust in Christ as we are called to trust in Christ. But along the way, as we walk with the Lord, as we trust in Him, there are struggles. There is sin. And there are times when we find ourselves in a place where perhaps others may not know it of us, but we know in our heart we're not where we should be. And there's a need for repentance there, a need for faith. And I hope that if that's where you are today, you'll be encouraged by this passage. I hope we all will, because at this point in Jacob's life, we've come to a point where Jacob's just a bit lost, where, where Jacob's been called to walk by faith, and yet over and over again, he has struggled in that walk, and we saw that struggle unfold in Genesis 34. But here in Genesis 35, we see God once again come to Jacob, once again remind him of what it is he's called him to do. And as he does that, he gives Jacob instruction, I think, that can be helpful for us. Instruction of what to do when you're in that place you shouldn't be. What what do you need to do? How do you deal with sin? Ultimately, what does it mean to walk with the Lord? And so that's what we're going to look at today as we walk through Genesis 35 together. So with that introduction, uh, if you are able, out of reverence for the Word of God, if you would stand with us, if you can, as I read this text for us. As I read it, remember this this is God's inspired Word for us. And He will speak to us through it. And so, let me read for us, Genesis 35, beginning in verse 1. This is what God's Word says. God said to Jacob, 
Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you and who you fled from, or when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. And Jacob came to Lutz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Alan Bakuth. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, Your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where God had spoken with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. So Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him Bethel. Then they journeyed from Bethel. When they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Benanoi, and his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set up an altar over her tomb. It is the pillar of Rachel's tomb, which is there to this day. And Israel journeyed on and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Eder. When Israel lived in the land, Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard of it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve, the sons of Leah, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel, Joseph, and Benjamin, the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's servant, Dan, and Naphtali, the sons of Zilpah, Leah's servant, God, and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan Aram. And Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had sojourned. And the days of Isaac were 180 years, and Isaac breathed his last. And he died and was gathered to his people, old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. If you would pray with me. Father God, we ask in Jesus' name that you might use this word to change us today call us to a deeper understanding of the gospel and ultimately, Lord, 
to lead us to repentance and faith. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All of you at some point, like myself, have probably experienced what it is to be lost. To, to find yourself in a situation where you, you thought you knew where you were going or where you were, only to see that you really have no idea where you are. It's a rather helpless feeling when we end up there. I remember one time, and I think this was about as lost as I ever got, I was a college student, it was after my sophomore year of college, and I'd gone overseas for the first time on a mission trip. Now, up to this point in my life, I'd, I'd not been without, I'd been within like a three-state region. <laughs> I'd been on a plane once, and now I was going to the other side of the world, to Eastern Europe, to a city called Bratislava, Slovakia. And I remember when I was telling my parents about this, my mother saying, oh, I'm just so scared you're going to get lost. I was like, oh, no, Mom, I won't get lost. And I told her all the reasons I wouldn't get lost. Well, the first day I was there, I got lost. I was riding on the, the, the public transportation on the tram. I was with my team, and our team leader had the map. And all of a sudden, I heard some people getting off the tram, and I turned around to see them getting off, and I was still on it. And the door shut, and we just kept going. And I literally had no idea where I was or where I was going to go. It's a helpless feeling when you're truly lost. When you stop and you look around and say, I don't have any idea where I'm at. Or sometimes, I don't know how I got here. Well, it's not just an issue of getting lost and finding our way on a map. Sometimes that, that lost feeling is one we have in our walk with the Lord. There are times when we stop and look around and say to ourselves, I'm not sure how I got here. (laughs) I feel lost. Times where perhaps we were were on a walk of faith and we were walking with the Lord and things were going well, but, but we got distracted by the world, by our desires, by sin and and as we succumbed to temptations, we, we ended up in a place we didn't plan on going. And before we know it, we're at that place where we look around and we say, you know, I'm not, not really sure how I ended up here. Now that's what sin leads us to in life. It leads us to that point of lostness, at that point of getting off the walk of faith in that path. But the question is, when we find ourselves there, what do we need to do about it? And see, for many, we listen to the enemy who tells us, well... You're where you're at and, and the Lord doesn't want you back so you're just, you're just stuck there. And we think that's all we can do. But, but God's Word gives us a different option. God's Word gives us a picture of what it is we are to do when struggling in our faith we're not where we should be. But what do we need to do? Because God's Word shows us that even when we lack faith, even when we're not faithful, God is always faithful. And that's the picture we see over and over and over again in the Scripture. And that's the picture we see in today's text. It's the picture of a faithful God in the life of Jacob who has struggled in his faith. And so if if you today are one who, like many of us, (laughs) you've struggled in your faith, maybe you're struggling today, I, I hope this is an encouraging word to you because I think it deals directly with the question of what do we do when we we find ourselves in that place of struggle, when we find ourselves in a place where we've wandered away, what are we to do? Because I think that's where we find Jacob. 
And I think as we look to his life, we learn some things. The first one is this. I've put this in your notes. This, this journey Jacob's on, his life and God's word, it reminds us of our need to remember, repent, and return. I want to show you how we see that in this text, how we're called to remember, repent, and return. We pick up in Genesis 35, verse 1 here, with, with God coming to Jacob. And God says to Jacob, I want you to arise and I want you to go to Bethel. And I want you to dwell there. And he tells Jacob specifically, I want you to remember what I did at Bethel. I want you to remember, Jacob. Now if you've been with us in this study, you know that God's coming to Jacob at Bethel had happened sometime before this. In fact, it happened right after Jacob had deceived his brother Esau. He had deceived his father. He had been told that his brother Esau wanted to kill him. And he is fleeing for his life. He is leaving the land of his fathers. He's going to an unknown place. And as he is fleeing with nothing, God appears to him at Bethel. And he appears to him in a very fascinating way. He gives him a dream, a vision. And in this dream, if you remember, Jacob sees something like a ladder or steps. And there are angels ascending and descending on these steps. In the dream, he says, it reaches all the way to heaven. There's this gap between the heavens and the earth. And it's, gap, and it's bridged by these steps. And the angels are descending and ascending on it. And there he sees the Lord Himself. And there the Lord gives him a covenant promise that He's going to bless him and He's going to bless His offspring. In summary, it's quite a fascinating passage. We spent some time looking at it, but I believe, and many who've studied it believe, that, that this was God's response in some ways to what we saw all the way back at the Tower of Babel. You remember the Tower of Babel was man attempting to build steps to the heavens. And it was man attempting to make a God in his own image, a God after himself. And God was not pleased with man's attempts. And so God scattered man at the Tower of Babel. But what we have there in that vision at Bethel is now the Lord extending, the Lord bridging that gap between the heavens and the earth, and ultimately the Lord pointing to how that will take place. That it happens through the offspring, that it happens through the Redeemer, that it happens through Jesus Christ. And He helps Jacob to see there that's something pointing forward that's going to happen. Now, I don't know about you, but if I had an experience like that, that certainly would be something to remember, wouldn't it? <laughs> and yet, think of where Jacob's at now at this point. See, Jacob went from that point where after having that vision, if you remember, he basically says, well, that's a God worth following. <laughs> I'm going to follow Him. I'm going to trust Him. I'm going to go where He tells me to go. But along the way, he gets a bit lost. Along the way, he wanders off the path many times. Along the way, he continues to deceive. Along the way, he continues to struggle to trust God. To the point that God calls him to come back to the land of his fathers. And even as he comes back, even as God reconciles him to Esau, we see the same old Jacob. We see Jacob deceiving his brother. And sometimes he, the deceptions, they seem so, so fruitless. We don't even know why he's doing it. It's almost like he's lying just a lie. For example, his brother invites him to come down and, and see his family and come where he lives. 
And rather than just telling him no, Jacob says, okay, I'll come and I'll be right behind you. (laughs) Then he lies, he's not. And then rather than trust God and go to Bethel where God had called him, he he stops at this place called Shechem. (laughs) And if you were with us when we studied Genesis 34, you know what a bad decision that was for him. Because there in Shechem, it was a, a wicked place, a godless place, and and so many bad things happened in Jacob's family. His, his daughters abused and violated. His sons seek vengeance. And in the process, they become murderers. And Jacob, at the end of Genesis 34, is essentially sitting there with his head hung low, not crying out to God, just crying about his circumstances, and basically saying, well, great, people are going to kill me now. Not, not so different than where he was when he originally left the land of his fathers. And he was saying, great. Esau is going to kill me now. So what does God do with this struggling, faithless Jacob who seems not to trust him very much? God comes to him and says, Jacob, I I want you to remember me. And I want you to remember that covenant promise I made to you. And not only that, Jacob, I want you to repent. You see, in verse 2, I think, God saying to Jacob, I want you to remember this and go back there, that that Jacob knows what that means. Jacob knows repentance is necessary. Now remember, repentance. Repentance is when you are heading towards sin and death and destruction, and you stop and you turn around and you go away from it. And you move towards the Lord. And that's what we see Jacob do here. Notice in verse 2, Jacob says to his household and all that were with him, Hey guys, it's time to put away the foreign gods. You remember those? These are the household gods. We saw Rachel take these from her father Laban and had that awkward situation where she's hiding them from him. and She took these away. These were idols. They were images made to bear the image of false gods. And people would worship them in order to receive the favor of these false gods. So for example... In Jacob's day, there would have been a false god that would have represented the fertility. And it might have been a statue that people would put in their home. And and when they wanted to have children, they might have that statue in there, some sort of of, of blessing. Well, if I've got this statue here, then then the god of fertility is going to bless me. And maybe they they would pray to it, and maybe they'd make sacrifices to it. And they would have that for all kinds of things. Maybe they would have a, a false god that represented... Uh, the agriculture and blessing as they went out to sow the seed and blessing for the harvest, maybe a false god of the harvest, all these false gods. And Jacob says, okay guys, it's time to put those away because we're following the one true God. And so Jacob takes them, the Scripture says, and he goes and he, he buries them by a tree. Chances are he, he wants to hide them so that the people can't go back and get them later on. Because that's what they want. They they, they want a God that they can see and that they can touch. Jacob says they need to turn from that. They need to repent. And then he's called to return. God said to him, arise, go up. And so basically what he said to him is, I want you to remember me, Jacob. I want you to remember what I've done. I want you to repent of your sin. And I want you to go back to that place where I met you at Bethel. Remember, repent, in return. And friends, we're called to do the same thing today. You see, we, like Jacob, struggle. And we, like Jacob, get lost sometimes. 
And we, like Jacob, need to be reminded by the Lord to remember. Do you remember what it was like the first time you heard and understood and responded to the Gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you remember what it was to understand that the burden you felt over sin could be lifted? That one had actually died in your place on the cross who was not calling you to a list of do's and don'ts, or if you live this way, you'll be alright. But simply said, if you'll confess Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. Do you remember what it was to hear that free offer of grace and respond to it? Do you remember what it was like as a young believer to so desperately want to know more about the Lord? That you just started picking up the Bible and reading it. And even when it didn't make sense to you, you just kept reading because you just wanted to know you you were hungry. You remember what it was like not to be dragged to church, but actually to want to come to church? Because you wanted to hear God's Word and you wanted to know more about it. And maybe that's not where you are now. And God's call to you and to me is, remember, He hasn't gone anywhere. Even when we have. And not just to remember, but repent. See, we talk about repentance a lot when we talk about responding to the gospel and turning from sin. But repentance is not a once and done thing. Repentance for the believer needs to be consistent and continual because there is sin that is in our life. And the longer you walk with the Lord, the more you see this sin. And here's the bad, not the bad, here's the, the sneaky part, here's the deceiving part. So often that sin comes on the heels of us doing something that we feel like is really pleasing to the Lord. (laughs) And so that means that you can get done singing and praising God and giving to the Lord and celebrating His work and you can get in the car and you can cuss the guy who cut you off when you leave church today. Or you can sit down and read your Bible and as soon as you're done reading it, you can have the most wicked thought possible because sin is a reality that we deal with and if we don't learn to repent of sin then what ends up happening is we just wander away and we stay away because we still feel so guilty and burdened we're too ashamed to come back and so we have to repent guys i have to repent all the time i was reminded of this this week Actually, I, I, it wasn't too long after I had gotten done reading my Bible that day. I, I just lost it with one of my kids. Now, I'm sure this has never happened to anybody else in this room, so bear with me for a second. But my children at times may do things that bring out a reaction of sin in me. And I yelled as loud as I could yell because I couldn't do anything else. I couldn't throw them out the room or throw anything at them. I was just so angry. And in my sin, I just yelled at my child. And it wasn't long after that that God so convicted me. I was so upset and so in sin, I had to literally leave my house for a little bit. And as I was gone, God brought conviction, just convicted me. And I came back, and even though I'd lost it with one child, I had to call them all in the room, have a little family conference, because I know they all heard me yelling. And I had to just repent. I had to say, listen guys, daddy was wrong and daddy sinned. And daddy needs to repent and daddy needs to ask forgiveness.
And, and I don't know, parents, if you found yourself there, but let me tell you, if you have or when you do, that, that is one of the greatest opportunities you have to tell your child about the gospel. <laughs> because that's when you can say, and Jesus died on the cross for foolish daddies <laughs> who were going to scream at their kids. Because daddy's fallen and daddy's a sinner. Now, friends, that's a story I can tell you in the pulpit. That <laughs> There's a lot of them I probably won't. I need to repent often. And you do too. And if you ever get to the point where you start thinking, well, I've arrived. <laughs> I'm a lot better than I used to be. I'm glad I don't struggle with that sin stuff anymore. You're in trouble. The Christian life is one of conviction one of repentance, and the great news of the gospel is, is that as we repent, God doesn't shut the door. God welcomes us back often, and as He does here with Jacob, He does with us. Remember, remember when you first met me? Repent and turn from your sin, and friend, walk with me once more. That is the call of faith. That is the call of the Scripture, and that's the call we see in Jacob's life. And we need to remember as we think about this, number two, that it's never too late to repent and trust in the Lord. You never get to the point where you can't turn around. Now the enemy will try to convince you that there is that point. Maybe has convinced some of you of that this morning. Maybe you feel like, well, well Pastor, you don't understand how far gone I am. You don't understand how long it's been. You don't understand where I've gone. And you know what? I probably don't and I don't need to. But there's one who does. There's one who's mindful of those things even more so than you are. And in His grace, His love, and His mercy, He calls you to repentance and He calls you to faith. And when you lack faith and when you don't trust, He is still trustworthy and He is still faithful. And we definitely see that here in Jacob's life. Because you remember how this has worked out in Jacob's life. Back in Genesis 28, he has that vision of the Lord. He says, alright Lord, I'm going to follow you, let's go. It's not long after that, Jacob finds himself struggling again. Struggling not to be a deceiver, not to be a schemer, to fully trust in God and not in himself. And so we see God coming to him again. And we see God in that, that fascinating encounter where the Lord actually wrestles with Jacob. <laughs> and we can misread that and think somehow Jacob had the upper hand. But when you read it in the context, you realize, no, the Lord's just breaking Jacob there. And when the Lord's ready in that wrestling match, he just touches him and it's over. <laughs> He does that because he, he's breaking Jacob. And he's calling Jacob to walk in faith with him. And yet Jacob still struggles. And so now we get to the point in Genesis 35 when this is the last chapter that we'll read that's just dedicated to the life of Jacob. We'll see more things said about his life down the road, but from Genesis 36, really 37 moving forward, it's the story of Joseph. And now this is at a point where Jacob and those like Jacob might think, I'm just a little too far gone, but it's never too late. In fact, when you do the math, you find that by the end of Genesis 35, Jacob's actually about 120 years old. He's going to live to be 147 years old. Now, we've talked already in Genesis about lifespan and about how that's decreasing at this point in the Scripture. But what you need to be thinking and understanding is that when we're looking at Genesis 35, we're looking at a... Jacob in his golden years. 
We're looking at an older Jacob. And yet, at that point in his life, God's not done with him. And wherever you are in your life today, God's not done with you either. And there's something you need to hear. For, for those of you who are young today, you're never too young to repent. You're never too young to recognize there is sin in your life and the Lord is calling you to repent of it and turn to Him and walk with Him. And for those of you who aren't so young today, you never get to a point in your life where you graduate from repentance. When you no longer need to repent. And until you die, you will deal with sin and you will struggle with it. And you need to repent of it. And I fear for many of us what happens the longer we live is that we grow a bit callous to sin and a bit numb to it. And so we just don't repent of it anymore. And people tolerate our sin and they even comfort us in our sin rather than rebuke us in it. Friends, that is not from the Lord. That's from the enemy. Because the Scripture calls us, no matter what our age, our life stage, no matter where we are, to repent and walk in faith. And that's what we see here in the life of Jacob. And then third, what we see is that sin and death remind us of our desperate need for this repentance and faith. First half of Genesis 35 mainly deals with this narrative where Jacob is being called to once again walk with the Lord. And so he goes there to Bethel and he, he establishes this monument and he's repented and he's returned and he's going to walk with the Lord now. But we're reminded as we finish this chapter that Jacob's still going to have to deal with sin. He's still going to have to deal with death. In fact, the second part of this chapter is pretty much a summary of people dying. Up in verse 8, Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died. Verse 19, Rachel, his wife who he so loved, dies giving birth to their son Benjamin. Verse 29, his father, Isaac, dies. And then along the way, sandwiched in between there, there's this, this, this rather wicked reference to his son Reuben, who has an immoral relationship, not with his own mother, but with the mother of one of his brothers. What are these things here for? I think Moses, under the inspiration of the Spirit, is reminding us that Jacob in his latter years, Jacob who's made this covenant to walk with God, Jacob who's now Israel and going to live like Israel and going to walk with the Lord like Israel, he's still surrounded by sin and death. And those things are reminders to Jacob that while he's in the land of promise, he's not quite home yet. And friends, we need that reminder as well. Because while you may be walking with the Lord and you're here in church today and you're with God's people, that the sin around you, perhaps the sin in your life, that the death around us is a reminder to us perpetually that we're not home yet. That this is not it. That we have not arrived. And our call is to walk faithfully with the Lord from this day until the day that we will walk faithfully, faithfully with Him in His presence in a new heaven and a new earth. And not to grow dull to sin in the process, but to become even more and more convicted and repentant that we might walk in faith until we breathe our last breath. 
and as we do, to be reminded that it is very easy, very easy, to fool everybody into thinking that that's what we're doing when we're really not. It's very easy to put on this this appearance that we're, we're a good Christian and we're doing the right things when, when inside we're dying and we're rotting away. I want to leave you with one final passage. We find it in the last book of the Scripture. I'll read it for you. It's in Revelation chapter 3. If you read the book of Revelation, you know that the first few chapters are, are letters to churches. So, so it could be to the church... In Bloomfield, these are letters to churches and to people in those churches. And the Lord is saying to them, instruction, rebuke, admonition. And this is what He says to one of those churches. I know your works and you have the reputation of being alive. That's a good letter. I I like them when they start out that way. The the Lord is saying, listen, I I see what you're doing and you've got a good reputation here. But then listen to what he says. But you're dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I've not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. Does that sound familiar? It's what God calls Jacob to do. Friend, remember. Remember what you've received. Remember the gospel that's been entrusted to you. And if you are aware of sin in your life, don't wait. Repent today. Turn from it and walk with the Lord in faith. And as you look around and you see others who are just dying on the inside, encourage them with the Word of God and call them to do the same. And be careful. Be careful that you don't fall into this category of looking good on the outside and yet in the inside you're dying. And if that's where you are today, then friend, you're in the right place because you're in a place where you're hearing God's Word and you're in a place where I pray the Spirit's convicting you and calling you to remember, to repent, and to return. To remember, to repent, and return. And to walk by faith and trust in the Lord. If you would pray with me to that end. Father God, we do come to you in Jesus' name. And I ask, Lord, that you would do what I cannot do. Lord, I I can come up with every example and phrase and way of trying to express the truth of your word. But Lord, I cannot change a heart in this room. But Lord, you are in the business of changing hearts. You are in the business of looking to those who to the rest of us look good on the outside, but on the inside they're they're dying, Lord. And calling them to repentance and faith. Lord, I don't don't know what sin every person in this room is struggling with. I know my own sin. And Lord, I pray for each of us, Lord, that You would call us to repentance. Lord, I, I don't know what struggles are in everyone else's heart, struggles to fully trust You, struggles to have faith, Lord, I know my own struggles. And Lord, I pray for all of us that we would have faith and that we would trust in You. And Lord, I don't know how many days anyone in this room has left. I don't know how many days I have left. But Lord, I pray and I ask that for the days we have that we would spend them walking in faith until the day 
we walk in the presence of our Lord in a new heaven and a new earth. And Lord, I pray for any who's still holding on to their sin, to this world, Lord, that you would help them to let go, to repent, to respond to the gospel. I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand together, church.